0: So I want to share with you guys uh, from Matthew 24 and 25. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but in this chapter, and some say it's the last sermon that Jesus gave before he was crucified. Um, So it's a very important message. Amen. This is the last sermon that he gave to his disciples. So he was spending time with his disciples in Jerusalem and at the temple. And when he was finished there, him and his disciples were walking out of the city and up onto the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is this picture over there that is modern-day Jerusalem. And at its highest peak, it's about 808 meters. So it's quite a high vantage point. And it overlooks the city and specifically the temple. And you must remember that the temple in Jerusalem at that time, which is about A.D. 30 to A.D. 33, the temple was a beautiful building. Stunning. It was the second temp- temple though. The first temple had been destroyed and this was the second temple that um, it speaks about in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah goes back and he rebuilds the temple. But it was a stunning temple not matching the glory of the first one of Solomon, but still a stunning building. And the disciples are looking at this amazing spectacle and looking back on it and saying to Jesus, wow Lord, Like, look at that building. It's amazing. Eh? Look at the Amazingness of that. And um, then Jesus says to them, almost in scorn, he says to them, do you see all these things, meaning the buildings? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. That's in Matthew 24, verse 2. Every stone will be turned down. And that was a massive statement to make. It's a prophecy that Jesus gave about what was going to happen in the future. So it's AD 30 to 33, and what Jesus is foretelling is the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, when the Roman Empire crushed the Jewish rebellion. So the Jews were rebelling against the empire, Uh, they sent out the 10th legion, and the 10th legion were actually camping on Mount of Olive, overlooking the city, and from there they went in and they sieged the city and destroyed the temple. And not one stone was left on top of another. And this was a big deal for the Jews. Because this was the representation of where God's presence dwelled. God's presence actually dwelled in the temple. And it was destroyed. This is a big part of their culture. And a big part of their heritage and their identity as a people. And it was destroyed for the second time. And um, so you can understand that. It was a very hard sore. And after it was destroyed, what people would do is they would do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they would camp out on the Mount of Olive. And they would celebrate, not celebrate, they would commemorate a feast or um, a, a fast actually called Tisha B'Av. And this is a quote from a rabbi from Italy who made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he says there, and it's Rabbi Meshulam. And all the community of Jews every year goes up to Mount Zion on the day of Tisha B'Av to fast and to mourn. And from there they move down along Yoshafat Valley and up to the Mount of Olives. And from there they see the whole temple, the Temple Mount. And there they weep and lament the destruction of this house. So it was a sore point for the Jews, this destruction. And um, this is a very, like, historically important site for many reasons. I mean, I've pointed out that that was where Jesus potentially did his last sermon. It's also the same spot where Jesus ascended into heaven after he was raised from the dead. He ascended from Mount Olive. And it's actually the oldest um, used cemetery. It's one of the oldest used cemeteries in the world. It's 3,000 years old. And it's this gray part here in the middle that you can see over there. Those are all tombs. There's 150,000 graves there. And uh, some of the prophets are buried there, like Prophet Zechariah, and also the son of David, Absalom. He's also buried there. So it's a very important heritage site for the Jews. Um, And it's the location of many important biblical events as well. It's also where Jesus stood and wept over the city when he came into the city. Um, And... Given that backdrop and the importance of this site, you can understand now the weightiness of the sermon that Jesus gives. He gives a very weighty few last words to his disciples, and he actually covers a span of almost 2,000 years from that time up until the pre- present day. Because in that sermon, he prophesies about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, about the arrival of false prophets and, um, and people that will claim to be Jesus. He also foretells uh, the death and the persecution of the believers and the death and persecution of the apostles and, and their, their suffering. And he also prophesies about his second coming. And the second coming hasn't taken place, so it covers all of history up until now during that sermon. Um, and with that backdrop, he then tells this parable. So he tells a number of parables, and I want to focus on the parable of the talents. So you can turn with me to Matthew 25. Verse 14 to 30. And in the New King James Version, which some say is the most holy version. (laughs) For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So Jesus is standing on the mount giving this last sermon. He's foretold this massive prophecy about the end times and about destruction. And his disciples want to know from him, Lord, when is all of this going to happen? And then he gives them a few signs, but he he tells them, listen, there's actually something more important that you must pay attention to. Because in that sermon, he also points out that nobody knows the hour or the day that it's going to happen. So don't focus on the end times. Focus on what I'm teaching you now. And he tells this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Who is this man? It's Jesus. He repre- he's represented in this par- parable. Who calls his own servants. Who's that? That's us. And he gives them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to their own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Where did he go? Into heaven. He ascended. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with him and made another five. And likewise, he who had two gained two more. Um, But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, like I said, 2000 years, okay, we're still going after a long time. The Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over few things, and I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What joy is that? The joy to come. The life year after. But it also is revealed about the present age that we're in as well. God is also concerned about what we're doing here on earth. So it's about his kingdom year as well. The Bible speaks about we must bring God's kingdom down to earth. Um, And so we know what happens with the man that had two talents. He gained two more. And the and the, the master says the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 24 then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard, you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He is wise, is he not? And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers at very least. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to who? The one with the most. Not the one with four. The one with ten. Give to the one with the most. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Referring there to hell. But also this present age that we're in as well, right? Bringing God's kingdom down to heaven. Uh, Heaven down to earth. So I want to point out a few things in this parable. So there's four things that I want to point out. And the first is, What we have received is weighty. So as I I pointed out, the master is Jesus. The servants are us. And he has given us this weighty talents. What is a talent? So one talent is the equivalent of 36 kilograms of silver or 6,000 denarii. Denarii was, um, or one denarius, was the equivalent of a laborer's daily wage at the time. Okay? So I did some research, and I tried to find out what is the average wage in Namibia. So if you are employed and earning an income, the average wage in Namibia is about 270000 Namibian dollars per annum. That's average. Obviously, some people are earning much less than that, and some people are earning much more than that. But that's the average. And so let's use that as a proxy for a laborer's wage. So there are about 260 working days in a year. You can see that I love numbers. 260 working days in a year, earning $270,000 on average. So it's about $1,000 a day. And 6,000 denarii times 1,000 is 6 million. So one talent was $6 million. It was weighty, right? This was a serious amount of money that the master was entrusting To his servants. And going on a long journey and coming back many, many moons later. And what are these talents? What do they represent? So I'm sure you've heard representations that the talents represent our abilities, our giftings. Um, Other people say that the talents represent our time. Time is precious and the time that we have on earth is limited. It is a weighty gift. Other gifts that God has given us? Our children. They're a gift that God has given us. Our wife, our spouse, our husband. That is a gift from God. Amen, Julia? Amen. Um, But you can understand that this weighty gift that God has given us, He wants us to look after it. Amen. He wants us to nurture it. He wants us to grow these talents. Hopefully your husband doesn't grow in (laughs) physical form, but in stature. Hopefully he grows, right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Success belt. (laughs) But God wants us to grow our talents. Amen. But, just go back. But the other part of the talents that maybe you haven't heard is that, Okay, and some people might say, but Malcolm, I don't have talents, okay? I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I don't have kids, and my life is miserable, okay? I've got nothing going for me. And I can call you something, but this is not the place or the time for that, and maybe we can deal with it afterwards, right? But you have one talent, at the very least. And that one talent is a representation of the greatest gift that God has given us which is his son, Jesus Christ, that died for our sins and has redeemed us. He is our salvation. Amen? So even if you have nothing, and I mean we can debate that, what you have at least is the one talent, like that servant. Even though his ability wasn't great, even though he was maybe uneducated, didn't have a great job, didn't have many things going for him, at least he had that one thing. He had salvation. I mean, so what God has entrusted to us is waiting. And before we move on, I just want to tell you a story about a guy called Charles Frederick Peace. This is not a man that you must um, admire. Please don't. Um, and don't look him up either. He didn't do anything noble. Charles Frederick Peace was a criminal and a murderer. And he was sentenced to death in England, in 1879. And in 1879, he was sentenced to death, and the chaplain came to the jail cell and was escorting him to be hung. And he's escorting him to be hung, and the prison chaplain drolly reads from a book called The Consolation of Religion about the fires of hell. Right. So this is this man being condemned to death, And the chaplain is reading about the fires of hell. He's trying to scare him into making a decision, right? And what does Charles Frederick Peace say? Sir, if I believed what you and the Church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul. From an eternal hell like that. And he died a sinner. This is not a godly man. This is not a godly man. This is a man who died a sinner. And he said, if I believed what you so glibly talk about. This eternal damnation. I would sacrifice everything for my fellow man. Even though he had proven over and over again that he didn't care about his fellow man. How much more us who have this revelation of what it means to be saved, what it means to be loved. What about us? What are we doing with this weighty talent that God has given us? Are we sharing it with our neighbor, with our family, with those around us who are lost and destitute, with the Charles Frederick pieces of this world? So the first thing is... um, What we have is weighty. And the second thing that I want to share with you, oh, let me just read this verse. In Luke 16, verse 10 to 13, this is what Jesus is referring to. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, and let's just think back to the parable. In the parable, what is the... Uh, the master say when he comes to the servant. He says, you've been faithful with little. And we've determined that the talents were a weighty gold, you know, a weighty amount. And he says, you've been faithful with little. I will entrust you with much. And over here, it talks about handling worldly wealth. Who will trust you with true riches if you cannot handle worldly wealth? Worldly wealth is meaningless. It rots. The Bible says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin cannot erode. So from that point of view, Jesus is pointing us to that which is worth more. Right? And that is our spirit, our soul, and our salvation. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And it's, that takes me nicely to the next bit, which is, number one, it's weighty. Number two, there's no transfer of ownership. In the previous verse, it's referring to property. If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, how can you be entrusted with property of your own? So let me put it to you. What you own, is it yours? No. It does not belong to you. The Bible says that we are merely stewards of what God has entrusted to us. What is a steward? A steward is somebody who manages the financial affairs of someone else. And um, in the parable, we can see there that the master entrusted to his servants his goods. There was no transfer of ownership. And in First Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards, that's us managing somebody else's affairs, that a man be found faithful. Nothing that we own is our own. Everything we have is God's. And especially, especially the salvation that he's given to us freely. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. There's no good deed that we can do to make ourselves righteous in the sight of God. He's a holy God. And our good works are like filthy rags before him. Amen. So it does not belong to us. And this is a mandate that God gave um, to us right from the very beginning when He entrusted the world to Adam and to Eve. And He said, Go out, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. Amen. So the third point first is it's weighty. The second, um, no transfer of ownership. Number three, it takes effort. Um, Let's go to the next. In Matthew 25, verse um, 19, it says, And after a long time... Sorry. Okay. This is the right slide. Um, It takes effort to grow this wealth. Amen. So the part that we're missing um, is the fact that the servant went and took five talents... And I mean, five talents is the equivalent in today's terms of about $30 Namibian dollars. What did he do? He doubled it. But the Bible is silent. It doesn't tell you what he did to make $30, $60 million. And who can agree with me that that would have taken time? It would have taken effort. Effort, right? To be able to do that. How would you do that? With the abilities and the giftings that God has given you there is no such thing as instant wealth, okay? There's no such thing as, um, and I mean, I'm sure that there's many of us that want the house on the hill and the Ferrari in the garage and whatever else um, it is that your heart desires. And God doesn't want to hold you back from those things, right? But the Bible is also true when it says that, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What God wants you to do is to put in effort to grow what it is that he's entrusted you with. If you were blessed today with instant wealth, it would ruin you. It would ruin you. God is far more interested in your salvation than what he is in your success. He wants to make sure that your soul, that your spirit is redeemed so that he can spend eternity with you. But that word salvation also speaks about the redemption of our health, of our lives, of our well-being as well. So God wants us to do well, but he would much rather forego success in earthly terms, monetary terms, than forego you as a human being and as a spirit. He would much rather want that. So what is it that you learn in putting in the effort? You learn how to be a good steward of what God has blessed you with. And in that, you can grow this wealth that God has entrusted to you. And how can you do this? You can do this in many ways. Um, If God has blessed you with an intellect and he's given you, then go and study. Apply your abilities, the giftings that God has given to you. Be a good steward of that. Go and study. Work hard. Put in the hours. Grind it out. And over time, you will see success. Success. I just want to go on to the next slide. The fourth one is that it takes time. Who can agree? It's been 2,000 years. So clearly what the parable was talking about was a long period of time, right? It takes time to grow in your abilities and to grow the talents and the giftings that God has given us. Matthew 25 verse 19 says, After a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And what's fascinating about the world that our God has created is that he's put systems and uh, processes in place. Who can agree that our God is a God of order, right? He's not a God of chaos. Who can agree that there's a law of gravity and it's universal? Amen? So is there the law of sowing and reaping. Harvest, um, sowing and reaping. Seed time and harvest. Amen. Let's go on to the next slide. And I want to read this, this parable to you from Mark 4 verse 26. And it says, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And what's fascinating about this process that God has put in place is that there are no shortcuts to it. You can't put seed in the ground today and tomorrow expect a harvest. You cannot sow wheat into the soil, and a week or two from now, come and sow um, reap a harvest. It doesn't matter what you've been busy with. Even if you've been busy with the Lord's work. Even if you've been busy, 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 you know? Running around and evangelizing and everything like that, and then you come home one day and you're like, oh, I'm a farmer, I should actually be sowing some seed. It's not going to work. Amen? God has put these processes in place. There's no shortcuts to success. And what's fascinating as well is that God uses this replica in everything to bring life to everything. You and I are the result of seed. And that seed became an embryo. That embryo became a a baby. And the mother had to nurture that child, protect it, keep it safe, eat for two, right? And she had to make sure that she protects this little one To bring this little one into the world. And after nine months. And if you ask my wife. She'll tell you it's an eternity. (laughs) Especially that last week. Where you can't sleep. You can't roll over. And you're not mobile. And it feels like an eternity. And then all of a sudden you get the short burst of activity. The labor pains come. And the birthing process happens. And then this beautiful human being comes into the world. And that process at the end is, is short. In relation to the nine months that she was carrying that child, that process is a very, very short space of time. But you can see that there is no shortcut to it. There's no fast-tracking that. And in fact, if the child comes prematurely, there's massive risk to it and to the mother. So from that perspective, God has put processes in place for our protection because he knows how he's designed us. Amen? And enjoy that process, guys that time that it takes to get to your harvest, don't rush it. Don't wish it away. Enjoy the process. Co-labor with our God as He shapes you and as He molds you into His likeness, into the likeness of Christ. Amen? Amen. So, and I want to close with this. When people see me, what do they see? Okay, maybe this is me inflating my opinion of myself. But when they see me, they see, a building fund guy. He wants money again. Oh! Every time he sees us, it's just, guys, give, 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 give. But guys, seriously, I need you to give to the building fund. Please. I'm sick of these leaks. <laughs> Gilma is sending me like SMSs, like WhatsApps every week. Malcolm, look here what's happening. Then there's water streaming down the hallway here. Okay, so please guys, give to the building fun. But I want to point out what I spoke about at the beginning. At the beginning, I spoke about the fact that Jesus was standing on the mount and he was looking at the temple. And telling his disciples, listen guys, that thing is going to be in ruins. The glory that you see right now is going to be destroyed. And what we're building here, trust me guys, is not important, right? Because what did Jesus implement right after that? After he died on the cross, what did he do? He said, now you are the temple of the living God. I give you my Holy Spirit. Our spirits are new. God dwells inside of us. Amen? And so from that perspective, that is what it is that we're working with here. Yeah, God's given us gifts. He's given us money. He's given us property and cars and businesses and ideas and all of that. But it all pales in comparison to that one talent, which is our salvation. Amen? And that is the ultimate gift that God has given us. So with that, I would like to close. And I'd like to ask you guys to please stand up. Um, And um, with every eye closed and every head bowed, um, I'd like to extend an invitation. If there's anybody here, anybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and, sa- and Savior, who doesn't have that one talent, that can't say that I know who my God is and where I will be in the life hereafter, if that is you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Is there anybody? In the first service, we had three salvations. Praise God. Praise God. Is there anybody here today that wants to give their life to God? Amen. So we are all believers and we all have that talent inside of us. Amen. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to raise your hand and indicate if you are struggling financially. Because our God cares about your here and now. This parable is not just about the here after. It's also about the here and now. God wants to redeem you. Every part of you. He wants your spirit, number one, but he also wants to redeem you so that you can live in abundance in this life. And if you're struggling financially, raise your hands. And there's hands all over the place. And with that, I'd like to close and like to pray for you. Um, Lord, thank you for Every soul that's represented here, Lord God. And thank you, Lord, for the talents that you have given us, Lord God. But thank you, first and foremost, Lord God, for the salvation that is ours, Lord God, that you give to us freely. And Lord, we know, Lord, that you want to redeem us. You want every part of us, Lord, to be successful. You want us to be your representatives on this earth, Lord God. And if we are struggling financially, Lord God, and if we are worrying day in and day out about how to meet our here and now very real needs... Lord God, we are not going to be the kind of representatives, Lord, of the, the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hill and the God that wants to bless us so much that we cannot contain it. Lord, I pray for every single person here that's struggling financially, Lord God, and I pray, Lord, that you would give them supernatural wisdom, Lord God, and revelation, Lord God. Give them revelation, Lord God, so that you can show them how they can use their abilities and their talents, Lord God, to grow their way out of this, Lord God. That you would co-labor with them, Lord God, to bring supernatural restoration to their finances, Lord. Lord, and that you would get the glory, glory, Lord. Every single bit of it, Lord God. That our hearts, Lord God, wouldn't be tied up in earthly things, but our hearts will be set on the things above, on treasures in heaven, Lord. Lord, I pray for supernatural blessing, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that... um, ideas would come, Lord God, that business ideas would flow, Lord. Lord, that you would show them where there is wastage, Lord God, how they can trim, Lord. Lord, that they would prove faithful, Lord, in the little so that they can be rewarded with much. My God, thank you, Lord God, for the way that you have blessed this church already. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, that you will continue to prove yourself faithful as you always have been. In Jesus' name, Amen.